so much to me has to do with like being a feminist and um I don't associate witchhood with paganism and Wiccan really anymore yeah. for me it's so much it's so much more around like negotiating power in society and like all the levels of power right like individual power community power collective power and so examining those layers for me is actually where I find myself being really kind of holding that identity. This is the Empowered Spirituality Podcast, the podcast about inclusive spirituality. Empowered Spirituality is all about connecting and aligning to your own higher self. All religions, spiritual practices and beliefs, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions are welcomed and celebrated here. I am your host, Samantha Nagel, owner of and coach at Empowered Spirituality, LLC. Every Wednesday, I will share a guided meditation practice, and every Thursday, I will share inspirational teachings or interviews with people with different spiritual practices, beliefs, and opinions. Come every week with an open mind, taking what you like and leaving the rest. Welcome to Empowered Spirituality. Today, I am joined by Rebecca Farrar. Rebecca, aka, AKA the Wild Witch of the West, is an archetypal astrologer and wild woman living in the San Francisco Bay Area, otherwise known as the Coast Miwok Land. Her work has been featured in Elle, Reader's Digest, Bustle, Astrology.com, and Elite Daily. For more than a decade, Rebecca has offered down-to-earth astrology readings focused on the asteroids, dwarf planets, soul care, feminine archetypes, depth psychology, relationships, and life purpose. When not staring at astrology transits, she can be found getting lost on a hiking trail, curled up with a good book, or watching silly TikTok videos. Hi, Rebecca, and welcome to Empowered Spirituality. Hi, Samantha. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to like hear my description and realize I probably have too many lists in that bio. <laughs> no, not enough lists. Not enough lists. <laughs> No, it's a beautiful bio. I think the depth that it has makes me feel like this is going to be an awesome episode. It makes me feel excited. Oh, thanks. It's so nice to meet you. You too. Um, so I would like to start the episode by both of us stating our intentions for the episode, something kind of new that I'm trying out. And so if you're open, I'd like to invite you to state your intention. Yeah. Um... My intention is just to be, you know, fully myself and be rooted enough in kind of our relational field that we can really feel connected and um, playful at the same time. Ooh, I love that. I love that idea. Uh, my intention is to feel empowered in myself, which hopefully will extend to you feeling empowered in yourself. And hopefully that will create kind of an embodied permission slip for other people to be empowered in themselves. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Um, so the first thing that really stuck out about your bio for me was that you're a wild woman. And I was wondering if you could tell me kind of what being a wild woman means to you. Sure. Um, for me, I feel like wild woman and witch actually kind of go together. Um, and 
I think my relationship to both of those things has really evolved over time, but they have more to do with just my relationship to the natural world and to this planet. You know, even being an astrologer, I spent a lot of time talking about other planets. And I, I love to remember that, you know, Earth is my favorite planet and that I'm in these rhythms with the natural world um, as much as possible. So I feel like that's kind of what I think of when I think of wildness and witchiness and yeah and yeah just that natural relationship but and the rhythms but there's something too about like power that we learn from the natural world as well oh I love that I love that you said that your relationship with those words has evolved over time because I feel like when we're starting to go at least for me when I started to go on the spiritual path I was like I have to know what I believe in and I have Mm -hmm. to know who I am But in fact, it's actually something that you have a relationship with. And like all relationships, it grows and ebbs and flows with time. So I love that you said that. Oh, yeah. I think about even my business name, you know, Wild Wish of the West, that that is a name that I'm just going to keep living into. I have no idea what it really means. I'm just, it came to me. And now I know the rest of the time I have is business. That's what I'm doing, right? It's just living into it. Oh, beautiful. I feel the same with empowered spirituality. It, every time a guest defines it or every time I think about it, it, it takes on a new meaning. And I love that. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said about um, you love your work with the stars and the planets and being an astrologer, of course, but you have to sometimes remind yourself that you're on this planet and this is your favorite planet. Um, and I feel that I've had to do that kind of work as well of like, when I figure out, or, or not figure out, because who knows, <laughs> but when I think about <laughs> what I believe in and what's out there and our purpose, um, I also have to remember, like, these are very big up here kind of thoughts. And the most important thing is being present with me in the moment on our planet where we are, because we were set here for a reason. Um, mm. What is it like? Like, how do you have that duality of really existing in this beautiful, airy, spiritual space? but then coming back to a nice grounded earthy space. Yeah, that's such a great, I'm like, I don't know if I do it very well. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> there's, um, I think a lot about what makes astrology so magical is that we're existing as both individuals and a part of the cosmos at the same time. And so I think when I think about it that way, it's this paradox of is, is existing on this planet on earth at the same time we're existing as cosmic beings. And so really holding that both of those is a part of my identity. And I'd say as an equal part mm-hmm. so that, you know, I don't lean too far into more of like the spiritual bypass zone where I'm forgetting about our planet or I get kind of stuck in the mentality of all that matters in the universe is like this place in this moment. Um, all the time. So to me, it just kind of feels like a going back and forth between the the expansion and the contraction back to earth. Ooh, the expansion and the contraction back to earth. That is so cool. It sounds like you have to continually kind of change your perspective to meet where you're kind of naturally at every day. Yes. Yes. I do think it's something and I, it goes in patterns where sometimes I'm really good at it. And then other mm-hmm. times I get either really too far out there or I get kind of too stuck in a moment and almost like too, too grounded. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And thank you for saying that because I've said this before to other people, but when we see these awesome people who are doing really great work and they're really 
embodied and confident in themselves, it's easy to think like they know exactly what they're doing and they're super talented and they're always perfect. <laughs> but knowing that even someone like you struggles with sometimes you're too far this way and too far that way, or you're good at something for a while, not so good other times. So I really thank you for saying that. Yeah, I know you're welcome. I think so much of like owning a business, I think you could relate. Um, is that I, you know, I will never pretend to have like all the answers. I think that that's actually not the way to be in relationships with the people you're working with, right? Like I certainly feel like I have my own struggles with like, where am I disassociating? You know, when nervous system, um, where's my nervous system too wound up and I can't be present. Um, and so that oscillation for me is kind of the journey daily. Mm. Oh, I love that. Thank you. And then um, going back to what you said about your definition or your relationship to your wildness and your witchiness has evolved over time. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that looked like for that relationship and your understanding to evolve? Yeah, you know, I think for a long time, I thought of wildness as this like erotic thing only, where it's like, mm. wildness was like, oh, being free sexually and, you know, like running around with my clothes off. It felt more like it was like a sexual liberation sort of wildness. And I think that was more of like a projection of the ways I felt contained as a woman in patriarchy rather than like an authentic expression. Um. And I find that as I get older, it's like, for me, the erotic nature and like the, I think of it more as like the life force that is wildness is in everything. So it's like, I learn about life force from plants. And so it doesn't have to be this like big thing, right? It's like these subtle ways where I witness a plant growing and I know that there's a synergy there between us, right? Or I go out to my herb garden and I'm able to like use some of the herbs to cook with. Um, so for me, it's more about like this symbiotic relationship to the earth rather than me using as thinking like my sexual expression is wildness. I don't know if that makes sense. I just, yes, that for me has yes, been a big part of the evolution. Wow. That's so, it really makes sense um, why that was part of your journey. I feel like women, our sexuality is so we just have a lot of issues to, to resolve around our sexualities. And so it makes sense why it would be almost a rebellion of your sexuality, but then also like kind of playing into the patriarchy mm. of our sexuality and realizing that that is wildness, but wildness is so much more. And that even what we think of as sexuality is not just about sex and being naked in a field, even though that sounds awesome. <laughs> even though that sounds amazing. Yeah, well, I guess the part of this too brings up the question of like, you know, maybe wildness, it's just not doing things the way we think we're supposed to because of being a woman. But I find that when we get into sexuality and erotic territory, it's really hard not to, it's really difficult to tease out where we're still kind of appeasing the male gaze, right? Or where we're still appeasing objectification, even if we're not aware of it. And so I think that's where it gets tricky when you're talking about sexual liberation is I think there's so much work around teasing those out. Um, yeah. that feels difficult absolutely wow thank you for saying that what a beautiful thing to say um and I have your um your definition of being a witch printed oh. out but I would actually love to hear you describe what being a witch means to you and I think um I've talked a little bit about kind of like my journey with 
accepting the word witch. I first kind of shied away from it and now I'm like mm-hmm. kind of owning that word. So I, I really love to hear what people call being a witch or how they relate to being a witch. Oh, I love to hear about your journey of that word, but um, I tend to see it as, I think I describe it as like, um, you know, existing kind of between earth and ether and this ability to go back and forth between that cosmic connection and the grounded um, spirituality. But there's another part of actually which that I don't think I really put on my website where it also, or maybe I did, but so much to me has to do with like being a feminist and um, I don't associate witchhood with paganism and Wiccan really anymore. Yeah. For me, it's so much, it's so much more around like negotiating power in society and like all the levels of power, right? Like individual power, community power, collective power. And so examining those layers for me is actually where I find myself being really kind of holding that identity uh, is being willing to look at those structures and like how I participate um, in them as well. Oh, I love that. And I think um, I love what you said about being a feminist and how that has so many different um, ways that can structure our witchiness. Um, But I feel like in some ways you really can't be a witch without acknowledging what our female ancestors went through just for being healers and being burned at the stake. I feel like being a feminist is also kind of embodying the fact that we have been hiding our power and that we're now embracing that power, like you said. Yeah, and also I think willing to look at the ways that we participate in those power structures that are still really detrimental to other forms of oppression. because I don't know that it does a lot of good to just look at our individual loss of power without really looking at also the ways we might be perpetuating it for other people. Yeah. Yeah. What a great point. I think we're so easy to look at maybe how we've, where our power has been taken away, but not so eager to look at maybe how we've been participating and taking other people's power away. Yeah. It's not a fun thing to look at, (laughs) but I think it's a really important part of witchhood. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Thank you for saying that. And I love what you said too about, um, it's not just about being a Wiccan or being being a pagan and doing the things on the solstice, even though just like being in the naked forest sounds awesome and could be very fun <laughs> and awesome, but uh, it's really about connecting to yourself too. Yes, definitely. I feel like we're on the same page for sure. Awesome, yeah. Um, I'm going to change gears a little bit because I know that for more than a decade, you've been doing uh, a deep dive in the ethers and the astrology world to help people connect their life purpose into their own soul. And I'm curious about what that looks like to help people find their purpose. Yeah, I (laughs) hear saying that I'm like, that feels like a really big thing to say that I'm doing, but um, (laughs) I, (laughs) I, um, you know, I think so much of when I'm thinking about the astrology chart and I'm sharing and kind of orienting to someone's chart is I'm, I'm helping to also just kind of like enchant them and delight them with themselves. Right. And so if you think about um, astrology in this way, and you think about life purpose in this way, I don't think of life purpose as a job. I don't think of it as, okay, here's this kind of long-term job I'm moving into, or this is my ultimate goal. It feels more like legacy. Like what are the things that you're doing day to day that use kind of your soul and the things you were given, but also Mm. um, are part of like an emotional journey and a relational journey that I don't know that can be tracked 
in the same way as this like big end all be all thing. Yeah. Um, and so I like to really kind of look at a chart with someone and see like, okay, well, life purpose for me just feels like living into your soul. And so how can I help people look at the parts that maybe aren't expressed that suggest they want expression and maybe the parts that are being overstressed and um, looking at how that impacts you sort of a thing. Wow, beautiful. And I love that you made that difference of like, yeah, it could be what you're doing at work or it could be kind of that structural life purpose, but a, a life purpose can also be letting your soul move you and, and really looking into your soul and letting it express itself. And I feel like that difference is so important because the first one, while valid, is also very tied into capitalism. The second right. one feels more open and more expansive. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know that I ever put that together, but I think it probably is a part of me that's like anti, you know, capitalistic. I'm like, why, why does a job have to be everything? Because I certainly didn't, not following kind of a normal job path anymore. So yeah, absolutely. Maybe it's a bit of a push against that. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> I love it. And I love um, on your website, you use the word enchantment a lot. And so I had um, like a curiosity around that word. And you just said that you use people's charts to enchant and delight them with themselves. Um, and I just, can you expand on that? Because I think that's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, so the word enchantment, um, the graduate school program that I was in, this was a big kind of motivating conversation of what is philosophy. And so there's this philosopher named, uh, named Max Weber or Weber, and he came up with the term disenchantment. And so enchantment is kind of the medicine to this very disenchanted consciousness that is most of kind of modern day life. Um, and this was kind of what really inspired my thesis was how do we kind of find these ways to enchant ourselves in the world? And when enchant, you know, we can use different words. We could use delight. We can use excite, um, inspire, spark, you know, whatever kind of feels resonant. But it's this experience that is often different from the way we might experience like a lifelessness um, otherwise. So it's kind of this, this oppositional consciousness to maybe the way that a lot of Western mind seems to think about the world or the earth or whatever. Wow, beautiful, thank you. Um, and if I could ask you kind of a personal question, what, what is enchanting to you? Or like, what does yeah. that look like for you? Yeah, so I kind of think of four things that enchant me a lot. Um, so definitely earth, like just, mm -hmm. you know, being out on a walk and noticing like, you know, the light between the trees and, um, the way the sounds that makes in the wind, like noticing the details of like what makes beauty in nature with the earth and flowers. And um, I also think a lot about um, language and how language has this ability that the words that we use now are not, don't have the same meaning as they used to have. And so actually also when you think about like an example would be the word desire. And this is what it fueled my entire thesis research was the word desire came from just meaning um, of the stars. Like it meant that when you yearned for something, it was from the stars that you yearned. Wow. That was the reason. And so for me, language and etymology has this kind of enchanting quality to it as well. Um, so I'd say that, um, but kind of like anything where you can get lost in like a timelessness. Um, 
And of course the cosmos for me is like endlessly enchanting. Yeah, of course. Wow, that's beautiful. And what was that like to find your own, like what enchanted you in and to find those things about you? Like what, what did that look like? I know I asked that in a weird way. <laughs> no, I, I know a part of me is like, gosh, I don't even know what that process was like other than, you know, really looking at the simple pleasures of existing mm. yeah. and where are these things that seem kind of mundane that actually are not, right? Like the words we use, the things around us outside, um, you know, not even noticing the stars. Like what are these things that we might pass by and how can we actually pay attention? And in that attention, like, you know, find kind of, again, this life force that's there. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that really, it, it was a great gateway into my spiritual journey was the moon. Um, mm. And once I started noticing the beauty of the moon and how it cycles, I just thought like, how do we not notice this beautiful orb in the sky? Like, why are we all not so fascinated by it or so enchanted by it? And I feel like that's kind of along the lines of that idea of enchantment for me. Oh, I love that. That seems like a great gateway. <laughs> the moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Um, and you mentioned your thesis and I know your thesis was on the human connection to the stars. And it sounds like desire has something to do with that as well. But can you maybe go into our connection with the stars? Yeah, my so my thesis was, um, I feel really grateful to, first of all, to get to take a few years and study philosophy and kind of really dive deeply into so many things that I loved. Um, but the thesis was about, you know, what is this relationship between the words that we're using and how does the language that we're using actually speak to our connection to the cosmos? Um, so words like desire that I mentioned, but like even, you know, the word disaster, a collision of cosmic bodies. Mm -hmm. um, consider to divine from the stars. So people believed that you got answers when you were considering something. It's because you were, again, the stars were giving you that information. Um, and so that was kind of the process of my research was to like, how do we notice this connection in a way that maybe we didn't know was already there sort of thing. That's beautiful. And um, I'm curious too, because it sounds like you really married um, like kind of science with spirituality when you did your master's program. What was that like for you? Yeah, well, there's, you know, I love that that's what you hear is this kind of blend of different viewpoints. And, uh, you know, the reason why I chose the school that I did, it's in San Francisco, the California Institute of Integral Studies. The reason I chose it was because it, it really focused on like a different ways of knowing, you know, that there was the intellectual way of knowing, but also you could know things in other ways. Um, and so there was a lot of conversation around, you know, where is science filled with logic and really helpful and where is knowing things in a way that you can't name in the same vein also really important and kind of marrying the the two sides of the brain in that yeah wow that's beautiful Um, were you always 
I mean, a lot of this sounds a lot like intuition to me. And I'm just curious, were you always as connected to your intuition growing up? Um, I would say definitely not. Um, I, I often feel like growing up, I, I don't know that I had a lot of, I can track my kind of spiritual process. Like I got really into Buddhism and then, you know, I lived at an ashram and for uh, a while I was like really Jewish. And then I like converted to Christianity. And so I can notice that I was like seeking something. Um, and then as I got older, I feel like when I finally pulled away from kind of all of those was when I actually really felt myself and felt that intuition. Um, I don't know that I was able to find it with a teacher or with these other groups. Mm, Yeah, I love, I actually had a friend reach out to me who had a friend who was um, leaving Christianity and she wanted to find her like spiritual path and she didn't really know where to start and she wanted resources. And so I gave her some ideas, but then I said, maybe just tell your friend too, that she can look outside and she can find things that resonate with her, but it's really about what resonates within And it sounds like you got, you collected so much information and belief systems and perspectives, but really what you had to do was look inward and see what resonated with you. Yeah, that feels really true that that was. And I think there's for a lot of us kind of going on that journey of like where it began and kind of where it's ended. And I also just think the age, like I don't, I've been thinking a lot about how you know they've done all these studies that like women gain so much more confidence with every year in their 30s. Um, and that is really remarkable to me that, you know, we do kind of take a little while to kind of pull back all the things that we lost. And I like to think that confidence and intuition probably go hand in hand. Wow. You know, with yeah, trusting yourself. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm also kind of like maybe age probably has a, a big part to do with it as well. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, was that something that really influenced your confidence and in, in building your confidence with your age? I feel like I've just gotten so much more intuitive um, as I've moved through my 30s, just so much more intuitive than I used to be. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of it was more of just like it was always there. I just didn't actually trust that it was there. Yeah. Um, mm, it's like you could... Beautiful. Well, and the different ways intuition shows up, which I guess is, you know, it's a whole other conversation, right? Like emotional intuition versus like Mm -hmm. sensing physical body intuition and not being able to discern what was mine and someone else's. And so that journey feels like it just takes a lot of practice. Mm, Yeah. And what a nice thing too, for maybe a listener to hear who maybe feels overwhelmed by all the things that they quote unquote don't know yet or Mm -hmm. haven't figured out yet to just know that it really does take time. Yeah. And we've got that, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, and I know, so I found your website in a very fortuitous way, which has made me feel like we have, we were kind of supposed to do this. Um, I found your website because I was just looking for a Brene Brown quote <laughs> and one of them popped up and I was like, oh yeah, that's the one I want. And so I clicked on your website and I was like, oh my gosh, who is this? Um, and I noticed that a lot of the work you do centers around the book, Women Who Run With Wolves. Um, and I know that, I think I've spoken about that book on this podcast before that I started reading it uh, in December, my best friend sent it to me and it's given me such an enchantment, I would say for my own healing and, and the way that things work both in myself and outside. Um, and so I'm curious how that book played a part into your, in your journey. 
Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that it's so strange to me because that book has been out for so long and how it just keeps going through these waves and this kind of like comeback. And Mm -hmm. um, so several years ago, I was running a women's group with a friend of mine who is a therapist and we were going through the mythologies with groups of women. And I remember thinking that for me, you know, being a witch had so much to do with the wildness and those two went so hand in hand. And I feel like the soul, like there's a lot of conversation around like depth psychology that we, we connect to our soul through symbology, right? And so mythology offers this real gateway into the soul because it's showing mm-hmm. us ourselves, but not in this really direct way, right? So it's yeah. telling us so stories are a way to notice our own process happening for someone else. So there's certain myths that will speak more to different people based on just, yeah. you know, their own process and their own inner world. Um, and so I think that is how it impacted me was, you know, getting to feel the parts of my soul that I didn't necessarily see mirrored maybe in just the human relationships, but could see more clearly in these stories. Beautiful. Yeah. And so it, you were doing a group with a therapist friend, which sounds like such a cool group. I wish I could have had that opportunity. Um, but how do you weave in the mythical with the psychological and, and the healing parts of ourselves. Yeah, well, I think it goes, it's this idea, right, where if you see a part of yourself in a myth, you know that there's something there, right? And so a big part of my process when I'm reading a story is like, yeah, where do I see myself in that story? And also where in the story do I stop paying attention? Because that is probably telling me something that's maybe not in my awareness yet about myself. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, I love the idea of reading it and that's kind of how they come together is how can we see the aspects of our shadow or the parts that are unowned through reading Mm -hmm. stories and noticing maybe where we feel unaffected actually, or where we feel really bothered as well. Wow. I would have never thought to read it through the lens of maybe what am I resisting in this story? Mm. That is, I'm going to use that as I read the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of like a classic way of like, well, where does the shadow hide? It hides in the places where we feel angry or upset about what we're noticing. You know, like if mm-hmm. we're, there's a, there's a character in a story and we're like, God, there's such a bad person or like, what's wrong with them? It's like, oh yeah, we're, there's something in that character that obviously we don't want to identify with or believe that we're like them in some way. Mm-hmm. Can is that true with people that we interact with in person as well? Yeah, I mean, I mean, according to depth psychology and Jung, I mean, that would be a pretty simple way to notice your shadow is, mm-hmm. and it's not just like, I feel uncomfortable around this person. It's like, we have a really strong reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Because that really strong reaction is probably the unconscious and aspects of our shadow really rejecting that part in ourselves and in someone else. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I think that's something, a lesson that I'm being handed over and over and over again. <laughs> when you feel this, this strong, almost not animosity, that's maybe too strong, but like a big resistance or pushback against someone, um, that it might mean that there's something there for me to learn and maybe like identify that that judgment I have on them is perhaps a judgment I feel about myself. That's a tricky one. <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's so, it's just so tricky. I mean, this is why, you know, relating it all is so so complex. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That is so true. Um, 
And I was wondering if we could pivot just a little bit. So I found, uh, I, I told you how I found you, but then I also was looking into you a little bit more and I saw that you wrote an article about your sobriety. And I was wondering if you had anything you'd like to share about the journey of becoming sober and maybe how that's helped you with your healing journey. Yeah, I, it was so sweet when you mentioned that you saw my article in The Temper. Um, it, yeah, Holly Whitaker and her book and her projects. And I, you know, it's strange because I feel like it used to be more part of my identity. Mm. Um, I haven't, I haven't been drinking and I guess it's been almost nine, 10 years now. And I feel like for the first few years, it was like a really big part of me, you know, cause it wasn't mm. really maybe, um, familiar to me at that point. Um, I don't know that I had a big journey about it. I kind of feel a bit like the word sobriety can imply that there was this big moment where you had to change. Um, but for me, it felt more subtle. Like it just felt like I, it makes me depressed. I really noticed the way it changes my brain chemistry. Um, I, I feel pretty, I already lean towards disassociation and then I drink and I feel even more disassociated and, mm-hmm. um, and I remember getting, you know, several drinking tickets in college and being really concerned about like, why, why am I doing, why do I like this so much? Um, mm. And I think we all kind of go through phases with alcohol. I almost feel like there's some sort of initiation for a lot of us through alcohol and substance. I don't know. Um, I think you cut out just a little bit. You said there's a, uh, a what around alcohol? I wonder if there's like an initiation for a lot of us through substance or, you know, whether it's alcoholism or other addictions, but um, yeah, when I think about being sober for me, it's just more of like, I, I don't have the desire anymore mm-hmm. for altering substances. Uh, like it, it just doesn't appeal to me um, anymore. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that is like a distinct decision and how much of it was kind of like a natural outgrowing as well for myself. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I can really relate to part of what you said in the sense that maybe you wouldn't, uh, not advertise, but like you may not say that you're in recovery versus Mm -hmm. being sober. And I can, um, as someone who's sober, I feel like that implies that maybe I had a, a hard time giving up alcohol or, that like it's a daily struggle for me maybe to right. have alcohol. And I feel like that can be a very unique experience of, of deciding to be sober without really mm-hmm. having the, the like, intense trauma that makes you go into recovery almost. Right, yeah. I, I think it, it feels really good to talk about this month because sometimes I wonder like if I'm using that word, if I'm really taking something away from people who maybe did have a really hard time um, you know, recovery versus sobriety, or maybe there is a word that, that I'm not using that would make more sense to use. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I I would be curious, I guess, as someone who's not in recovery, I I can't really speak to it, but I would imagine that it's okay to say sobriety because alcohol still, still can be very bad for you no matter what. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I felt excited when I saw that article. So I was like, oh, cool. Another person who's spiritual. <laughs> <in society. laughs> 
<laughs> and who knows about that work. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was actually the book I had been wanting to quit alcohol for a while, but it was like kind of having a hard time with it. Not really like in that like painful struggle, but just a hard time. And I, that book really was the catalyst for me to eventually quit my drinking for good. Oh, wow. I hope that, I wonder, have you written the author at all? So I bet that would be amazing for them to hear. Oh, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Awesome. Um, let's see. I, you said something else in your bio that I was really, really curious about. It was about soul care. Um, and I was wondering what that meant. Right. Um, what is soul care? I don't know. No, um, <laughs> I, for whatever reason, have split self-care and soul care. And I don't know if that orientation works for everyone, but mm. I tend to think of self-care as more of these things that we do that are like more physically oriented, right? Like we need sleep and exercise and food. And then I think of soul care of more of the things that like nourish our life force. Um, so like maybe you know, being outside or working in the garden or reading, um, yeah. or, you know, having therapy, um, or that sort of thing where there's just like a different part of us that is being nourished in some way. Mm. Mm. I love that distinction. I would almost say that symbolism for me would mm -hmm. fall kind of under the soul care. Definitely. I think of wildness as soul care for oh, sure. Beautiful. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, oh, and actually, I, I did have a note that I wanted to ask you. I know that with you, um, you talked about your wildness and your witchiness really going hand in hand, and and you really, um, that's been an evolving process for you, and you eventually leaned into it after exploring some other forms of spirituality, maybe. Um, but what empowered you to find that word and to use it? Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I don't really know. I think I, um, there's just certain words that kind of stick sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think that yeah. has just been one of them. And like we've talked about before where it definitely keeps evolving. Um, but it feels good to, to know that there's like some part of me that keeps being magnet to it. And so just try that. Oh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I always like to hear people who identify as witch, uh, tell me how they came to that word. I love it. <laughs> um, and so we're getting close to the top of the hour. So I'm going to ask you the last questions that I ask everyone. And the first one is, what would you tell your younger self knowing all that you know today? Um, younger self. Uh, definitely, I think so much of being younger for me was like really struggling with just like deep loneliness. And I think that I would give that part a little bit more space to just understand that like, I'm really good at solitude rather than kind of resisting it. I think the way that I did for so long, mm -hmm. um, I think I would maybe feel a bit more empowered if I understood that that was such like a gift of solitude rather than this like kind of clinging and trying to fill that quiet with other people or situations. Mm, that's beautiful. Wow, thank you. Um, and what do you hope to learn from your future self? Um, I'm hoping that my future self will just um, keep teaching me how to enjoy 
like to be enchanted, you know, it's just kind of my day-to-day life as much as possible. Um, and, and also like live more into the parts of me that maybe I'm still afraid of a little bit, right? Like maybe there's a part of being a witch or a wild woman that I don't know yet. Like, what will that be like? And I'm hoping to see more of, of her as well. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and how do you connect with your higher self? Um, I'd say that definitely through, when I think of higher self, you know, I'm like, I think I get a little confused because I'm like, is that my, you know, the, my spirit inside my body? Is that the like etheric being that is me maybe existing somewhere else? Is it my intuition? Um, but I feel like, how do I communicate with what pulls me forward? I guess definitely through dream world and my dreams. Um, and I do really try to go outside and go for a walk by myself at least once a day. Um, and I don't like to walk with other people outside, which feels a little silly sometimes. Cause I like going for walks with friends, but if I do a walk with a friend, it's like, I have to then go again by myself. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so I'd say definitely through walks, dreams, and, um, I also have this great habit where in the late afternoons, I just go sit on my deck in the shade in the forest and like eat fruit and like chocolate and um just like slow down and try not to be distracted by my phone or whatever else so Mm -hmm. I'd say all of those are certainly ways I'm like opening to something beyond me that's beautiful wow thank you I want to sit on my deck and eat fruit (laughs) that sounds so much oh my gosh Samantha do it and I feel like cherries are always the best option just because they're like so Mm -hmm. delicate to eat the other fruits are like something you can just pop really easily. I feel like that's the trick. It's not the same like eating a peach or an apple. It's like, it has to be like right. individual little things to feel more decadent. I don't know why. Decadent. Yeah, that's the word I'm thinking of. That's beautiful. <laughs> um, and the last question is, what does empowered spirituality mean to you? Obviously, this is such a big question for you. I'm like, I'd love to hear your experience of it. Um, for me, empowered spirituality means that I, I have this tendency towards, I think I might say I have a bit of a tendency towards like a guru complex where I'm like chasing like a guru or someone who has the answers. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely gotten into a few groups I might consider pretty cultish. <laughs> um, so I think empowered spirituality in the context for me now means like really pulling back from these places where I was projecting the answers or authority onto someone else and like really building confidence and intuition in myself. I think that's where I would, where I would identify it. I love that answer of empowered spirituality. It sounds like really exists within. Yeah. How do you, how do you think of it, Samantha? Or what inspired you for this? I love that. You're actually the first person to ask. (laughs) Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) I love it. Um, it's funny too. A lot of guests will say like, oh, what a big question. I'm like, I know, I don't know either. <laughs> Good question indeed. Um, I think the idea for it really came from place of not feeling like individual experiences of spirituality was valid. Um, feeling like it had to be, and I grew up not in Christianity, but like around Christianity a lot Uh, Uh, and not nothing wrong with that, but it it like felt like that was the one way to be. 
and other ways to be were not valid. Um, mm. So I felt a lot of my life was like, I want to be spiritual, um, but I like don't identify with this. So I guess I'm not spiritual. And oh. so a lot of me coming into my spirituality was similar to you. I, I took from teachings, but eventually I realized that I didn't have to resonate with everything from everyone because I, I had what I needed within. So I think that's what empowered spirituality would be for me as well, that it really resonates. It's within, and then it's also validating yourself. What a cute cat. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm like, I've been waiting this whole time for her to start coming in front of the screen. And I love that the last question you're answering and she's like, Hey, I want to be in this. And now I'm she's here. sitting <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Samantha, for sharing that, because it's really fun to hear about kind of your motivation for doing all of this. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. That's so sweet. Yeah, of course. Um, And I would love, so I know that you, you book clients as well. So where could people find you and how can they work with you? Oh, great. Now I get to do a bit of self-promotion. Is that what's happening here? Um, I guess the whole, I guess the whole podcast is pretty self-promoting. I, yeah, so my website is wildwitchwest.com and on the homepage, there's definitely a few options around reading about different offerings. So the, yeah, my big offering is certainly one-on-one astrology readings that of course can talk about anything that's important to people. And I also offer um, astrocartography or astro mapping where you can kind of figure out best places to live or work or travel based on your chart, which is a really popular thing right now, especially with the pandemic of people, you know, really uprooting and um, changing their lives. So um, definitely a few, and I'm hoping in the next few weeks to also create um, kind of an ongoing series focused on different um, archetypes within the natal chart as well. Ooh, that sounds so interesting. And all of your links, um, we've just said them and they're also going to be in the show notes as well. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow. That sounds so cool. Um, and the last thing is, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to make sure we get to? I don't think so. I think I'm just like really grateful for you to, you know, to be interviewed. There's something about, I think you do this too, but when you work with clients, it's like a lot of space holding and -hmm. a lot of really focusing on other people. And it, it feels a little uncomfortable sometimes to be interviewed because I'm just really used to you know, yeah. not being asked a lot of questions, but asking other people a lot of questions. And so just thank you for um, giving me kind of the space to like feel shiny um, and share myself yeah. a little more. That feels good. Yeah. And thank you. I know it does feel kind of uncomfortable, especially even if you're not a clinician, like if you're just the supporter and the caretaker, <laughs> people ask you questions. It's like, what do you mean? You want to know about me? but you did a wonderful job and I'm so grateful that you opened up with such beautiful vulnerability and you are so shiny you're so lovely and so magnetic so I am glad that you felt that way oh thanks Samantha yeah I feel like I've done a few podcasts every time someone asks to interview I'm kind of like what this is weird thank you I'll take it but (laughs) awesome well thank you so much Rebecca it was such a treat challenging to find a community of supportive people to share in our spiritual journeys with. We all need support and love no matter where we are on our personal journeys. So I am excited to announce that I have created the space for just that. 
In the Empowered Spirituality community, you will receive a weekly video lesson, weekly journaling prompts, access to an additional guided meditation every week, monthly group meetings and teachings via Zoom, and access to a loving and supportive online community. Additionally, all members will receive 20% off of all of their coaching sessions. You can follow the link in the show notes for this community offer or visit patreon.com slash empowered spirituality.